Hello, this is Melina Williams. You're listening to the Massocast. It is, of course, 18 and over. So get your lube out and get ready to party. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> 2013 is turning out to be a pretty good year so far. It's early, I know, but so far, pretty good. We, we were so excited for our holiday season. Yeah, I said holidays. We had parties to go to, friends we were going to hang out with. We had like four different parties, some vanilla with kink friends, some kinky party. I mean, we were really excited. And then we both got sick. Saad was sick for five straight days. Uh, I was sick for two of those. And that was the only time we, had, we left the house was to walk the dog. That was it. That was our that was our New Year's. So our plan to go buck wild blew up in our face. I will say, uh, over the past couple of weeks, done a lot of interviews that I'm really excited about. Stephen Elliott will be back on the show in a few weeks, uh, along with Mistress Alex. We have the Violent Femmes coming up. Melina Williams, who you just heard. Kevin Allison from the Risk Podcast. Type in Risk in iTunes and download the podcast right now. You're really going to love Risk. Lee Harrington, Reagan Black. The list goes on. All these people, the interviews are in the can. They're just waiting to be released, and I can't wait for you to hear them. Also in 2013, I'm thinking this might be the year where we go to an event and record conversations with people at events and then release it to the world. Uh, if anyone has a suggestion for what event would be a good event to to go to and bring the podcasting microphone and sit down with a whole bunch of people, uh, email me, massacast at gmail.com. This episode, someone who goes to a lot of events, Bendy Yoga Girl. You can actually find her on her website, bendyyogagirl.com. And she's, she's really an amazing person, as you'll hear right here in our, in our conversation. First, first of all, uh, you're in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And uh, Seattle seems to be one of these places where it's just it's just kinkier than your average city of that size. I, I know so many people from Seattle. Dan Savage is in Seattle. I, I, there's a lot of kink businesses in Seattle. What is it about Seattle? Is it that it's raining so often that people have to have fun indoors all the time? Or what is the... I, I, I can't speak to that. Um, as an expert, I can tell you that my my personal experience has been that the West Coast in general is easier to be out about um, alternative sexuality, alternative lifestyle. I, I was in San Francisco for 10 years after graduate school, and I had a similar experience down there as well, that it, it's just the attitudes towards living are more relaxed here than I've experienced on the East Coast. I'm wondering what that a, is. <laughs> well, I have other theories about that, but um, <clears throat> we are closer to Asia than we are to the Puritans, for this one thing. Um, the energy on the West Coast is more, like, uh, from an esoteric or woo perspective, I experience it as more open, more horizontal, and on the East Coast, it's very vertical. If you think about, like, the skyscrapers of New York, mm -hmm. you know, and how... The cities are in grids for the most part. Well, except for Boston, which is all cow pastures, but right. it's Puritan. Um, there's also a, a space here in Seattle called the Center for Sex Positive Culture. 
the CSPC that's been around for about 14 years now. I think that's the right timing. Um, And they have a a foundation associated with the Foundation for Sex Positive Culture. And between the CSPC and the FSPC, there's a home for people that I, I don't know exists in a similar way anywhere. Certainly not in America. So, so you get um, the men's community, the women's community, the pansexual community, the queer community, swingers, sadomasochists, medical play people, rope folks, you know, cuddle parties, sex parties, like all of these kinds of cross sections of expression have the same literal space that they inhabit. And there's crossover, and 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 it's very very special, and I don't think anything else like it exists. Well, uh, I imagine also, like you said, the crossover probably helps quite a bit too, because in like in New York, there aren't there there's mm-hmm. not much made, uh, you know space for crossover. Usually, you know, the, the kinky people over here, the swingers are over here. The it's very segregated in that in that. Yeah, area. it is. And then coming from Boston, where we don't even have a dungeon in Massachusetts, a public space. You know, to to have it like I'll I go to the club. I'm probably at the CSPC three or four times a week. Wow. Most of the time, I'm not even playing. I'm just hanging out. It's just a you nice know? place to chill. It is. It's really clean. It is. Oh, and it allows sex. Like you can actually have um, penetration. How is so, that? So it's it's because it's a, a like a private organization. Is that how they get? I, think so. Um, actually, what I would suggest is you talk to Alina, who's the director. I mean, as an activist, I have to say she is such an inspiration. What, what she has done, her vision for inclusion, and uh, she's a really, really good public speaker. So oh, I, I will get you guys in trouble that, and then that or, in <laughs> contact. Maybe you can get into trouble. <laughs> well, you, you actually started, you actually started <clears throat> your own organizations in Boston. Um, I started a roundtable conversation for submissives. I founded a pansexual mast chapter, Masters and Slaves Together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I, I was on the board of the New England Leather Alliance for a long time. Yeah. So you're no not a yourself. long time. I've been working with Neela for years. I was on the board for less than a year. So Pardon you're, me? You're no slouch yourself. No. I'm very involved. I like to contribute. It makes me feel like I'm being of service, which is really important to me. Well, uh, I I always sort of ask how people kind of got started in this. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I got started in it in nursery school. Um, It was, we were playing a game based on Star Trek. It was a medical scene. I was the patient. So I was lying down on a table and there were three people, quote, working on me Mm -hmm. as Star Trek characters. And uh, I actually had my first subspace experience. was not a sexual moment at all. Sure. It was more psychological, and um, I I kind of went into a trance of sorts. And from that moment on, have been seeking those kinds of headspaces. So I, I came into it, I think I just literally was born this way and figured it out very, very early. And I, I always find that, you know, cause I, I was the same way. I, I figured it out fairly early, but I didn't have any connection between, mm-hmm. saying, oh, this is something, this is something kinky or this is something, you know, there was no, there was no roadmap to, to let me know, oh, well, this means this. How did you find out that that meant that? Um, I was around a lot of leathermen in my 
<clears throat> teens and early 20s. I didn't really know they were Leatherman. They were just gay guys um, who some family members of mine spent time with. But mm-hmm. So I had a little bit of exposure that way. And then oddly enough, right after graduate school, I ended up working at Yahoo. And um, I was one of the first, say, 40 employees at Yahoo. And one of my jobs there was sexpert. So I got to surf porn for a living. (laughs) I learned a lot. I bet you did. It was pretty funny. Like I knew all the hanky codes. You know, <laughs> so uh, and then I was in San Francisco and San Francisco has the Citadel and a bunch of other, you know, Bondage Go Go. Uh, Midori is based out of San Francisco. It has um, San Francisco Sex Information as an organization. So uh, there was just a pretty big community of people in San Francisco in my 20s. So but we, again, you know, that's you, you were hanging out with Leatherman. You know, because yeah. you had family associated with them. But when did you? When did the, the did the connection make in your brain? When, when did when did that connection happen that you thought, oh, oh, this thing that I like is a thing? Well, I'm thinking back to when I, I first became sexually active in my teens, and I was always seeking out people who would tell me what to do and be uh, physically in charge mm-hmm. of sex might be able to blame my parents. You know, they, they, they never said it wasn't okay to be expressive in any direction. Right. So it's been just something that I've assumed. It did take me um, well into my 20s before I, I really understood the difference between dominant and domineering. Ah. Um. You know, so for for the the first decade or so of my dating life and and sexual history, I was more prone, more likely to to partner with assholes than I was with leaders. Um, so and yet, I was still doing it from the time I was sexually active. So I've always wondered yeah. why, because uh, I've got plenty of friends, especially when I was in my 20s, who would, would date real assholes, even though yeah. they weren't the type of people who would normally even associate themselves with assholes, right? Mm-hmm. And now I'm wondering if how many of them are just, uh, how many of those people were just looking for someone dominant and that was, they didn't know how else to look for it. Quite possibly, you know, I mean, I, I met a, a writer in San Francisco in my mid-20s who completely shifted my paradigm um, by being ethical and having honor and, uh, you know, negotiating and showing concern and care for my well-being in a way that I had not experienced before. Uh, and that that relationship was really pivotal because it also helped me shift a lot of my um, some shame I had around wanting the kind of control in my life over me. You know, my parents are feminists. What kind of a woman wants to to be tied down by a man? Right. You know, so that really changed things for me. That relationship. 
and and then I was kind of liberated from the idea of um, not liberated from, but maybe liberated to a, a, an idea of dominant as leader. <clears throat> you know, and the and the the DS dynamic really being one where for me to be successful in it, I need to be growing and changing and f- expressing and. Um, you know, on fire, like really, really, really light and bright in it, not feeling um, horrible about myself. And I, I, I imagine, because I have a number of friends uh, who had this the same experience, and sorry about the sounds of uh, Harlem in the background there. Um, Lovely. Yeah. Um, but I have a lot of friends, especially female friends, who had that shame, and, mm-hmm. and then once they, it, for them, it just took one good dominant whether that dominant was yeah. a male or female for them yeah. to realize oh i can this is something that i should kind of treasure and, and not give to just any asshole who's out there and once i find the right person or the right type of person mm-hmm. then the experience is going to be completely different that was my experience for sure yeah and it's probably yeah. empowering too um it is very empowering you know, and, and right about the time I, I was in that relationship in my 20s, I had also been meditating for a number of years. So I was doing my own work, you know, on me. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, cultivating personal power, uh, really understanding what accountability and responsibility mean for me, you know, being um, okay with being in charge of my own emotions not not looking outside of myself for my happy. I mean, you know, I was just starting to do a whole bunch of things. So it was it was like the perfect I'm so grateful to have met that man, uh, really. And and that he he shared himself with me in that way. And you know, we never fucked. It was it was very mental and it was very play-based and he introduced me to Carol Queen, if I remember correctly. Um yeah, it was just really 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 cool. So do you think the fact that you didn't have sex made it no. more powerful? No. That just wasn't in the in the dynamic. Sex would have made it more powerful. You think so? In intercourse, I should say. Oh right. yeah. Yeah, for sure. So what 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 did that look like? What kind of play did you guys interact in? Um we did some bondage, we did some impact, we did um oh I I might have actually done some gunplay with him if I gun, think back. So explain explain gunplay. We've never talked about gunplay here before. Oh, it's play that involves firearms. <laughs> I, I I assume so, but I don't think It's considered edge play. <laughs> I I don't imagine it's just a matter of like twirling it and making sure it lands in the holster. No. no. It can involve penetration and beating, and you know it's more dangerous if they're loaded, and um, you know different kinds of coercion, different kinds of mind fucks. It's it's edgy it's, for sure. It's, it's a, for those people I'm, who are listening, don't just go to your nearest Walmart right no. now and say, "Hey, here's what we're doing tonight." No, I, I imagine but, you probably had some rapport with this person before he. I had rapport, and he had ex- a lot of experience. Right. Yeah, and and with firearms and that kind of play. Yeah, you know they do call me an edge player, so that uh, that could be part of the reason why. I don't know. That's true. That that sounds yeah. really. That sounds re- so. I, I, it's 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 kind of like single point neck suspensions. You don't want to do it, right. but it does happen. So there, are, you know. Have you experienced it much? Late? I mean, was there no. something? Up, no. No. 
it's probably in my future, but I, I haven't done it since then. My first experience with edge play. Uh, oh, edge plays I do all the time, but gunplay specifically I well, haven't done since that one. I, I, I was fairly new to New York. When I first uh-huh. and and uh, I, I met someone and she really said, said oh we'll do some edge play I'm like, oh, okay I don't I was just like okay yes I didn't even ask because I just I was just glad she was pl- willing to play yeah. with me and she had a knife out and it was fine you know knives don't do anything for me really but she was really getting off on it and she we were playing and she was like you know taking the edge around my body uh, you know mm-hmm. just the edge of the knife and she accidentally just slightly nicked my junk. Just slightly, <laughs> and she said the the she goes oh oops, your Which, cock or your balls? The cock. Okay. Oh. And she said oh oops. I mean, she, <laughs> first off, that's not something you want to ever hear no, a top say right. unless they're fucking with your head. And then, uh, uh, and again, I no experience with any kind of edge play whatsoever. Uh-huh. And then she said, uh, and I was no longer turned on because I had blood coming out of my penis. Not a lot, yeah. but you know, yeah. more than none. Uh-huh. <laughs> which is which is which is significantly more than there is normally. I would like yes. to say, and uh, and I was no longer turned on, and she was kind of like a little upset. She's like, "You're not turned on anymore," and I had to I had to say because there's blood coming out of my penis because she was she was not used to playing playing with someone who was not familiar with any kind of edge play, right? So for me to say, okay, I was I felt like Woody Allen for a little while there, you know, just like there's there's blood coming out. Of course I'm not turned on because I'm bleeding from the one area of my body that really gives me, you know, most pleasure. Why would you why would you think I would be turned, you know? Uh so we were just complete, coming from completely different spectrums obviously. Yeah. Uh and that's when I realized, oh, some people some people really get off on that type. Of course now I'm with someone who's a huge needle freak. Fairly, you you experienced gunplay fairly early on. Were you just kind of going along with it, or did you have to be kind of like, did you have a long conversation beforehand? Um, I don't remember having a long conversation. I do remember him checking in with me a lot, uh, and the the post scene moments were pretty significant with checking in with me, you know, for two or three days after. Right. Um, and um, being available for me to talk about my thoughts and feelings about the experience. And, um, you know, I, I was very confident that he wasn't going to shoot me. Like, the thing with a knife is if you play with a knife, you can, tick, you can nick the skin. But if you play with a gun, you, you're not, most people aren't going to shoot you. Yeah. You know, so so they really are uh, not apples to apples in comparison, right? You know, but notice you said most people. Yeah, that I can't say that about everybody. Wiggle room is still a little scary, right? I, but I don't know. I mean, because I don't know everybody. Right. Well, get on. You know, and, and the the thing about edge play is it's whatever a person's edge is. Yeah. So, like for me. The physical play that I do looks very edgy, but where I'm an edge player is mentally, emotionally, and psychologically, because I'm willing to challenge every single story that I have about myself, all of it, and really go to the fringes and the um, the outer edges of of my emotional space where I feel comfortable. And, and sometimes that's a conversation. It's not, there's no SM involved. Yeah. Somebody can beat my ass. It's going to hurt. I might bruise. 
you know, but it's not going to have the same effect as, um, for me personally, as some of the, the more, the, the more mental stuff that I do. And I should be clear, I've known about myself since I was in nursery school. I've yeah. been doing work on myself since I was a teenager. I'm, you know, I am self-aware enough to be responsible enough that when I do go over board, I'm compass mentis to deal with the, the outfall of that. I haven't always been, you know. So what is verbal edge play uh, to you? Um, it can be, um, oh, so I did a scene a bit ago with somebody, uh, it was a butt beating, you know, and at, at one point he leaned in and, and acknowledged my obedience. And that was edge play for me because obedience is something that um, has always been my growing edge in DS relationships because I, I consider myself to be functional and whole and capable. Mm-hmm. So to have somebody else telling me what to do and then to follow what they say challenges my stories of self around my own competence. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So, so when he acknowledged my obedience and complimented it, you know, that was really edgy for me <laughs> to, to be seen like that. And then to have the awareness of, oh, I want to be obedient towards this person. Oh, my God, what does that mean? Yeah. You know, um, to be called a good girl can be really challenging for me. I'm a woman. I'm not a girl. <laughs> it's really know? amazing to so, me how, how some people can react different ways to different yeah. things and, and how how uh, such a big deal like for you gunplay might not be that big a deal and and you know for someone else it would be the utmost of holy crap yeah. you know but i also imagine uh when you're doing what you would consider verbal edge play it takes probably longer than it takes for your butt to heal right um it, it the effects i experience the effects longer because they're not physical you know, so it'll bring stuff up that I that I then need to make space for to acknowledge and move through. You know, so there's there's more work on my part for mm-hmm. sure, and that's partially. Um, you know, it's funny. I I've been told that part of my reputation is that I have a whole bunch of lovers and play partners, tons and tons, and you know, and that like I run programming for the fetish fair flea market. Um, in February in, in Rhode Island, in Providence, Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. And I was told recently that there are, quote, people who think that every single, most of the presenters who I've hired to do the event are play partners and lovers of mine. And, and the truth is, none of them is. <laughs> you know, so, so I tend to be very... Um, I wrote a blog post about it once, and Melena Williams and I kind of really bonded on it, where it was like, I call myself an exclusive slut. I'm a total fucking whore, but only with a couple of people. Why does it matter, really, if, if people think that? But also, how how do you think that came to be? They just saw you playing with... It doesn't matter. It's just interesting to me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I flirt on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that, that in the sex-positive 
community, one of the assumptions about people is that they're having a lot of sex. This you know, regardless of whether somebody identifies as a swinger, that sex, somehow sex positive equals um, entity. Uh, and, and quality, and quality, and that, that is, has not been true for, I've only been poly for like four years. I'm not going to fuck everybody I see. The, I'm still trying to, to, to find my boundaries in that, you know? And, and the fact that people think that I'm, I'm more active than I am doesn't either. It's just, it's like an interesting data point, you know? Are, are you jealous of the rumor of you? I'm like, no. <laughs> I, know, I, I, I would means. much rather be in my truth than anybody else's story about me. I just like that question. I didn't really think, you know. Yeah, no, no, um, no. <laughs> I have no control over other people's thoughts or <laughs> actions. So therefore, I don't worry about it at all. And that's a really healthy place to be. Yeah, it is. It's very empowering and so easy. All I got to do is deal with my own business. Okay. <laughs> so uh, uh, just listen, because I know people are going to yeah. be upset if I don't ask these questions. So gunplay... Gunplay. What else on the list would, would people probably maybe draw a drop over? Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> um, you know, I do do play that draws blood. Um, sure. I, um, I have no idea what people would jaw drop over. I mean, even some of the bondage I do might be seen as remarkable. I, I you would real honestly, and I'm not trying to get out of your question. No, you'd no. have to ask the people who are watching what I do when I play in public. Right. You know, but, but, and my public play is not the same as my private play as is with most people, you know? So, so yes. And I also like, not only do I get called an edge player because of the how that I play, I get called an edge player because of the people with whom I play. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a quote, heavy bottom um, so I, I, you know, I do play with more extreme sadists and people who are not afraid to, um, cause slight damage to physical bodies. And, they, and, they're, and they're all people who would never consciously or willfully do anything that would send me to a hospital, affect my ability to do my work, you know, fuck with my family life. They're all very ethical and honorable, but it's, it's, it's beyond uh, sensation, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I also imagine one of the big reasons why is because uh, from what it sounds, not just on Twitter, but <laughs> because you are very well, you know, you're very bendy, hence the name. Yes. Yes. Uh, that you probably get a lot of people who are like, Oh wow. I could probably put you in a type of bondage mm -hmm. that I wouldn't be able to put someone else in. Yep. How did you get in? Did, was yoga first? Was kink first? Or were they about the same or? I was a dancer first, um, as a child and I started meditating in college. So I, I had a mental, uh, practice first and then I started my physical practice in my twenties. And <clears throat> if I go back on the timeline, I was in San Francisco when I started my physical practice, and I was in San Francisco when I came out into the public scene. So um, I, it's probably correlative. Mm -hmm. I, I like the physical practice 
for being able to understand where my body is any day. Uh, and that helps me be a better communicator when I'm playing with people. Um, so that's kind of, I don't know, chicken and egg. It was a, a, a lovely brunch. Everybody was involved. <laughs> <Right. laughs> Oh, I've I've done some yoga in the past. I still do it. Not I don't do it as often as I would like, but uh, mm-hmm. um, I have definitely noticed uh, if I if I do you know a full hour and a half that there is a definite connection between that and some feelings of subspace. Yes, for years Bikram yoga was how I I did my um, DS. I, I was celibate by choice for about five years for a period of time in my thirties. And my practice was really the path for me. Yeah. It's good for tops, too, by the way. Any tops listening to this? Just because they get more centered with their bodies? or Well, as a bottom, even if one switches, when you bottom, that is your tool, is your body-mind. Yeah. And as a top, implement one uses a whip, a flogger, rope, you know, a cane becomes an extension of self, and the more integrated a person is in themselves, the the more effective, in my opinion, um, and and the more capable one is at interacting with another person. It also makes people more healthy, like literally, physically more healthy. Sure. No matter what your size. So, like, why wouldn't you want to have more vitality and health? And there's a lot of other ways to get there. The, yoga is just one of the ways that, that I've, you know, used over the years. I, I haven't, I, you know, I mean, yoga, uh, what, what yoga means is not downward dog, you know, or pigeon pose or a split. Yoga, yoga literally translates to union, and it's it's the dissolution of separation between the body and mind it's it's connecting the body and mind so anything can be yoga gardening hiking uh, i just started rock climbing recently and that's extremely yogic an activity you know for some people painting is their yoga or um parenting can be yoga it's it's it, you know and there are people who get on their mat and are so not present mentally that they're i would say that they're not doing yoga they're exercising. They're yeah. doing something else. Well, I've definitely noticed the difference between the two. Yeah. Of when I'm doing exercise or when I'm when I'm doing yeah. yoga. Yeah. Yeah. The biochemistry is different as well. I, I don't get the same endorphin high that I do with um, cardio weights or oh god and the rock climbing. Like that's its own special brand of yum. You're, I'm you're, like totally addicted. You're absolutely right about uh, parenting can be yoga. I, I have yeah. a, a few friends who are p- new parents and they've got that glazed look on their face. <laughs> <laughs> They're most, all high. Most of it is what That's the hell the did I get depth. myself into? <laughs> exactly. But it's definitely it's definitely there. Yeah. Uh, uh, so I, I would be remiss if I, I mean, Saad would kick yeah. me if I didn't ask this question. Uh, yoga positions for autofellatio. Uh, forward folds. Forward folds. There you go, Saad. Um, can... And having a really long cock and a short torso helps as well. <laughs> ha, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. Not Which I'm not sure you can correct with yoga. Now you're gonna be. Ch- now I'm gonna have to measure my torso, and I don't know. But when I go on Pornhub to masturbate, they have a lot of ads for things that will make a penis longer. So maybe that could help. But none of them ask and make your torso shorter. Uh-uh. 
these pills. If you want to suck on your own cock, you so need sure. to have the right, you know, <laughs> ratios of length. I have a feeling I'll be working on those. Uh, <laughs> The not not the length aspect, but the forward folds. I, I would love to know how it turns out for you. So so. That, that has been her thing, and sometimes I'll be doing yoga, you know, before bed, uh, and I'll be doing the I don't know what it's called, but you know, when you put your legs back behind your head and you're you're laying on your back. That's called plow. Okay, plow, and um, we call I mean that we call plow something else, but um, yeah. Uh, she'll she'll just I'll kind of like get and I'll get up from that pose, and she'll be just be looking at me like, very like you're almost there. Just she won't say that, but you can tell that's she's so like funny. you're you're almost there. Because that's her big. Sure. That's one of her big things. So. That's great. Well, you could work on that until you die, and, and probably be very happy with the the, the process of the the trying. So. Even if I even Go if I it. even if I died in in after shortly after it happened, yeah. it would be fine. Who cares? Yeah, it's fun to try. I mean, you know, and yoga for for me as a child, I was a, a prodigious uh, musician and performer, so there was a lot of. Uh, practicing to get things right or mm. perfect, you know, practice makes perfect. And my yoga practice, when I first started it and, um, getting involved in the Burning Man organization too, I did a lot of work with their board in my twenties really taught me about, um, practice makes permanent, which is a totally different perspective. Yeah. So it's not about getting it right. It's about making it a habit because we, we are that which we habitually do. Have you have you found it also to help you work through pain? Because I've heard some people say that they've found yoga to help them become a better or a stronger masochist. Um, the pain processing that I do is personally that I do is more mental and breath based. Mm-hmm. One of the things that yoga is good for is getting comfortable at being uncomfortable. Uh, and there's a form in particular, yin yoga is really good for that because it's characterized by longer holds like three to five minute holds and you know so you're like in a split for five minutes and you know so one can you can get more intelligent about um understanding that that signals of discomfort aren't necessarily saying that something that's happening is bad or wrong and because it strengthens that connection between body and mind i in, in my experience as a, as a teacher and a practitioner, one just gets more intelligent, you know? So then when I'm in the, the, the scene and it's hurting, I have a, a, a what I have found is I have a, a, a better understanding of my own self, my own body. And what and, you can take. Yeah. Well, and also, you know, how much is too much? Yeah. And, and there are other things that will get you there. Martial arts, Tai Chi, Qigong, you know, it's yoga, physical practice is not the, only, not the only path. You mentioned something earlier that you are only recently poly. Yes. And I am. As someone who is monogamous and, and who is just completely confounded, <laughs> I've always kind of thought, I've always thought poly is sort of an orientation. Uh, mm-hmm. And maybe, maybe I'm... Also, the type of person who's like, "Oh, once you're this, you're always this," but um, that's not been your case. That has not. I uh, several years ago, I started dating somebody who is poly and is poly as an orientation. And as we were starting a relationship, he spent a lot of time telling me, "You know, we would really. I'm not a good partner for you because I'm poly and you're mono." 
And I think I had mentioned earlier in our conversation that I'm willing to challenge all of my stories about self. So I, you know, I, I, I took a step back and, and sat and pondered and considered and checked in with some things about, you know, what is my story about monogamy? Like, what does that really mean for me? And um, where I came from through that process, what I came to realize is <clears throat> I had been equating monogamy with security. Mm-hmm. And what is most important to me in a relationship is to, to have an experience of security and safety. And that has nothing to do with mono or poly. That's its own thing. So um, have been able to pretty easily shift my perspective to, oh, okay, so what I need is to feel secure. That's where, that's where I'm going to do the work. So I, I currently don't identify. I just put on my FetLife profile recently that I'm polyamorous because of my dating status really requires that, mm-hmm. but um, my I don't have an identity around I am poly or I am mono. I, I would say that the context that I'm in right now is polyamory, and the context that I was in up until about four years ago was monogamy. So theoretically, I could, uh, again, be satisfied in a monogamous context because I don't have an identity around it. I have more of an identity around... Uh, being heterosexual, except for my friend Elizabeth. So the joke is I'm Elizabethan, <laughs> you know, but, but, but like for the most, I'm really attracted to, to male identified people. Yeah. I am, I don't tend to find female identified people attractive. And, and then, so queer kind of comes into that when they're, when folks are, are manifesting in their masculine aspect, I will find that much more attractive than feminine. It's really interesting how, especially maybe FetLife has just been, you know, another offshoot of this, but how we label ourselves is less important to ours, us as it is to other people. Oh, I disagree. You, you, you think so? Oh, yeah. I, I've got friends who are like, oh, they just begrudgingly put something up because they, they feel that they have to. Oh, you mean how you label yourself on FetLife? Or you, well, just, just, just as an example. Or when someone asks you, or even if I, even in, in doing these interviews, if I asked someone out of care, so you identify as X, they're more, they're, I get a lot of people who reply, maybe it's just the people who are willing to come on this show, yeah. but I get a lot of people who are, who are just like, ah, oh, I really hate to label myself, but if I had to, I would say, the, you know, this. And it's more so that, and they're, they're just like, look, you have to, fine, you have to have something, so here, you know. Um, I'm finding more and more, and maybe it's a good thing, I don't know, I'm finding more and more people who just don't want a label at all. Well, that's terrific. And in my experience, most people are very identified with labels. I am. I am Republican. I am white. I am a woman. I am a mother. I am you know, kinky, I am sex positive, I am poly, I'm a swinger, I'm a, I am, I am, I am, I am. We I am a lot, you know, and, and one of the opportunities that our community provides, again, has to do with challenging those stories of self. You know, binary no longer exists. As soon as you step into these kinds of spaces, and it's pretty amazing yeah. and wonderful. Uh, and unusual, 
I, I think my experience is that, that most of the world is very comfortable having a, a label. Red state, blue state. I mean, we do it all the time. Yeah. You know? Well, in, in, a, lot of those, in a lot of those situations, though, the labels are becoming, um, the, especially when it comes to politics, the labels uh, are, are, there's always an asterisk after them. Yeah. You know? Like uh, Texas, red, asterisk, uh, not, if, not if you count Austin, and soon, in the next 10 years, it'll probably be more blue. And Virginia, <laughs> well, yes, but except, you know, whatever. Yes. It's, it's becoming, it's, because it's, the story is becoming more complex. Mm-hmm. And the same thing goes for, I think, in sexuality. The story is becoming more complex. It is. Which but is not a bad still, thing. We still have, oh, no, it's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. You you wrote you wrote recently on your blog about and we'll, we'll have a link to your your blog and your website uh, uh, on, on the Masquerade page, but uh, you're you're at the time of this re- interview your number one post is how I practice good poly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> everything I learned about doing good poly I learned while monogamous. Yes, seriously. Yeah. Can you explain that? <sighs> Can I explain what? Well, explain, explain what you mean by good poly. I don't know. That was part of the reason why I wrote the article, because yeah. I, I keep getting this, oh, you do such good poly, you do such good poly, good poly, good poly, uh, around things like, you know, acknowledging significant people in my partner's lives um, as important, you know, or... Um, showing, demonstrating accountability um the the ways that i communicate you know uh understanding that my my commitment my my desire my attachment is that everybody wins not just me and that i I was just noticing like all these people are saying i practice such good poly like and i've only been poly for a few years so there's no way that you know i'm some expert in poly and I just took a step back and I was like, well, so what do I do? I, I don't think I've written an article since then. By the time this airs, I probably will have written some more. Uh, and so I just wrote down some of the stuff that I do. Well, you know, and a lot of it is stuff is, that I teach. The amazing thing but, about it, too, is if, we, if you read it and you substitute Polly for, for anything. Yeah, relationships. Relationships, business owner. Yeah, you know, car owner. I mean, whatever. Yeah. I mean, it it could kind of universal. Yeah, I mean, it, they're just they're they're best practices, and I've been really blessed to have had a series of teachers for the last twenty five years or so, from whom I've been able to learn. And by teacher, I mean like mentors and people with whom I've actually been able to sit. Yeah, in person, not folks whose books I've read. And, and there's some of that too, but you know, to, to, to be able to spend a weekend with Marianne Williamson, to be able to go to, you know, Asia and sit with masters of, of different kinds of practice, <clears throat> excuse me, there's a frog in my throat. Uh, okay. and, and so to have, you know, sat with the Tibetan Lama for a period of time or the, the Swami from India who I spent time with in Boston and, and just, I'm just lucky. I'm just really, 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 really lucky. And my commitment since I've been a kid has been to share what I know. That's why I'm on the planet. So, you know, the blog, the, it's just a, an expression of that. 
Well, I, I strongly it's, the, it's from October. It's very very easy for someone to find it in the blog archive. Yeah, you'll be able to find it. But yeah, um, it's on FetLife too. It it has like three hundred comments on it, and like eight hundred people loved it. That's pretty good. It really struck a nerve. You um, you, uh, you, you, you mentioned briefly that you you sat with the llama. Yes. How hard was I, it for you not to quote Caddyshack? It was not hard at all, wow. since I've never seen Caddyshack. Yeah, oh, uh, uh, <laughs> well, you should watch Caddyshack, and, okay. then, and then we'll talk again, and then we'll do the Bill okay. Murray scene. Okay. Hey, Lama. It just, it's very good. It's good. <laughs> you, you, you've mentioned this several times uh, in our conversation, and I, I'm, I'm going to read it exactly here. The challenging oh, no. the story about yourself. Yes. That sounds like something extremely scary but you yes. do it because uh, i would ha- I, I would do. i would question everything i do but that would i mean i would i'm like oh what how, what if i'm wrong the last 30 years i've been completely wrong about who i thought i was yeah and what if you yeah but you make it sound like that's <laughs> you make it sound like that's a good thing i'm saying that would be i would be like i was so <laughs> i was so wrong about cheetos or whatever you know <laughs> something well, that's that's part of my path. That's part of my spiritual path. And it, it's I, I was speaking with a friend recently about like, you know, the the whole idea of the mage and the magician, you know, making the sacrifice of the goat. Yeah. As as you know, and and the the path that I'm on, the sacrifice is of self. And 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 that can look like heavy SM. It can mm. look like ordeal work that way. It can look cathartic like. Uh, some of the breath work that I've done over the past 20 years or so. And often for me, what it looks like is, oh, I'm confronted with something right now. There's something there for me to check out because it's all a story. And, and, and some of it I'm not going to change. I am not going to knowingly involve myself in a relationship that will take me out of integrity. Right. I will not do that. I am not going to willfully do harm to other people. I mean, there, I do have deal breakers and, you know, I had a story that I'm afraid of heights, maybe. Oh, I don't. Uh, oh, here's a good one. Um, I'm claustrophobic, highly claustrophobic. And I will be doing some work on challenging that, which will involve hoods and learning how to scuba dive. And it's going to be really... Scuba dive in a hood, we should say. No, right. no, no, no. But it's going to be really challenging and very uncomfortable and that's going to, I will challenge that story. I, you know, I, I, that's just my, that's part of my you're, path. You're doing it in a kind of controlled way, though, it sounds like. I mean, you're, um, you're, will, you're willfully going. Yes. Right. I am, I am, yeah. That's, that's my path. You, uh, you, you actually teach quite a few classes, too. I do. I teach this stuff a lot. You do teach. I'm, I'm looking at your class list right now. Um, leadership. Body and mind, bondage, spirit. But you maybe you can give us a Cliff's Notes version here. But sure. How to to ask for and get what you want. Yeah. That is one of the most common things I get I hear from people, especially for submissives, because yeah, there's a, there's a thing about being submissive and still asking for it, and not wanting to top from the bottom. Yeah. So the the Cliff Notes version of that um, for submissives would be to make an honest request and then be completely surrendered, and whether or not it is honored um 
I don't know if that makes sense. So I can say to a, a dominant partner or to a top with whom I'm working, I need, I want, I would like X, Y, Z. And that's different than saying you have to do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. You're not being and, a and once, once I Yeah, once I say this is what I would like, then to maintain the polarity of my submission and my you know, to somebody, I completely let go of whether or not or how they execute it. Mm-hmm. And then what, what I do is I observe and I will note whether or not, you know, are they withholding what I want? Are they trying to give me what I want? Are, are they taking that into consideration? You know, and as a submissive in that kind of a power dynamic, it's not my job. My yeah. job is my job is to give information and to have faith that the people with whom I'm in relationship are smart enough and care about me and see me as a person and human and valuable and of worth. And then, and then to, to, to play in that space. The thing about talking to you about this stuff is that you, you have these answers that are so, they're not, I'm not saying they're obvious, but when I hear them, I'm like, of course. Mm-hmm. But when uh, when in actual practice, when you're doing them, before you said it, I was like, it never actually occurred to somebody because you're too busy weighed down by your own self consciousness or whatever. Which is why practice makes permanent. Right. So 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 these these are like their own set of muscles that one needs to exercise and work so that when you get into that moment with somebody, you have that strength. It's not like, I mean, that's the whole problem with the, the entire self-help industry. People get a book and you put it on the, you know, your bookcase or you read it once on the toilet and think that you have it. <laughs> and that's not how it works. You need to practice. And, there, you know, and, and, and what works and what gets published is not all that different. Mm-hmm. from each other, you know, uh, speaking, there's, there's the whole meme about, and the trope about using I statements, right? I, I, I speak from your own experience. Great. We all know that. What does it mean? How do you do that? Well, you only learn that if you actually practice it. Yeah. But once you do that, then you're in a space of being confronted with your own shortcomings, being confronted with the, your growing edges, being confronted with maybe some things that you haven't been doing so well or areas that you haven't been so compassionate or kind in. And then there's more work there. And my, my sense is that most people, many people, I don't want to say most, many people would rather stay comfortable and miserable than get uncomfortable and happy. Well, because I think a lot of people are uh, worried about the risk of being uncomfortable and still not paying off, right? Well, what's the payoff? See, for me, the payoff is my own integrity. Right. And being able to lay my head down at the end of the day with a clear conscience. I do not hold myself responsible for anybody else's feelings ever. This is this is why it's dangerous for me to have conversations with people like you because they're like, yeah, you're right, but you know, maybe I'm just a curmudgeon and I'm just better that way. So there. Yeah, well, you know, there are days when I'm that too. <laughs> you uh, also, we we were talking beforehand. You said that you were considering slavery for the very first time. Yeah, thirty years. <clears throat> I've been actively exploring DS for 30 years and I am just now starting to consider the path of slavery with somebody because you just weren't interested in the past no um 
I don't know. Honestly, I, some of it could be because of a master who I met over the summer, uh, who I had some amazing conversations with, who just helped me to, the, the conversations helped me to change my perspective about slavery a bit. Like what? Uh, like what were your... So, so the story, right? My story of competence, my story of reliance, my story of empowerment as an individual uh, and then to go into a context where I am ordered, I have to ask permission to pee. Like that would historically be so confrontational to my my sense of c- competence. I, there's no other better word that I can have for it. Like how can somebody else know better whether or not I should have to fucking pee? <laughs> right. Like come on. You know, like and that's like that's the thing that comes up. And... Uh, so sometime over the summer, I started like shifting and relaxing around some of that and recently have met somebody who, um, I think is tall enough to ride this ride. You have, you do mention tall people quite a bit on your blog, I noticed. <laughs> well, tall as a metaphor. Oh, okay. <laughs> Not tall as in height. Oh, cause you, you mentioned know? tall. I totally misread that. Yeah, tall enough as in you must be this tall to ride this ride. Right, 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 right. Right, so, so I, I'm <clears throat> getting to know somebody who is, uh, has intelligence in areas that I respect, has experience in um, behavior modification that, from what I see, results in happy, shining, glowing people mm-hmm. in service to him. Um, has longevity of relationship, you know, it isn't the six month cycle. Yeah. Uh, and has been demonstratively showing wanting to know me, you know, and, and also I should be clear has put absolutely no pressure on me. So, so it's, it's an open invitation to do some exploration. And if I decide that it's not the right situation for me, I have no fear or concern that I can step out of it and won't still have a friend. So it's, it's just so, and, and this isn't to say that every other master I've known has been otherwise, because that's not true. It's just that right now it's like the right time and place. Is this person local to you? Mm-hmm. So you'd be able to explore it one-on-one mm-hmm. quite a bit. I would I need that. That's a requirement for any kind of primary relationship for me. I'm so kinesthetic. Like I need touch, like literal physicalness around the person with whom I'm. I, I don't need that for all of my relationships. I need it for any kind of primary relationship or, or, or significant relationship of time and energy. I've just noticed, uh, I've noticed a lot of people who... Um, who've been emailing me asking, how do I find a dominant? And I, what, I've, what I'm finding a lot lately is that a lot of people who are new to the scene, they want an online relationship first. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that means cyber sex or what that means. Mm-hmm. Maybe because they're too nervous about jumping into something full on. Uh, so they want an online relationship first before moving on to something else, which to me, okay. seems, seems, which I, I mean, I, that's how I started, but not by choice, right? I started because I, I was in the Midwest and I had no other choice. And so I was like, okay, I guess this will... Do. I can't speak to that at all. I've never had an online relationship. Yeah. All of my relationships have been in time and space. So I, I can't speak to that. But if it, if it works for somebody, then great. 
you know, there are 7 billion right ways to live. This is true. This is absolutely true. Us, so. Right. Well, so you're not doing classes as often as you used to. I'm not doing events as much as events. I have in the past. I so I because I just moved and you know I need to get my teaching schedule set here. Uh, and I'm also part of the move is I have an interest in growing roots and building relationships. Mm-hmm. And if I'm traveling two or three weekends a month, I find that to be very difficult. Yeah. So. Um, you know, I'll be out in New England for the flea because I'm running programming for that. I have uh, chosen not to do ShibariCon this year, um, which is going to be very hard for me because all of my friends will be there. But it's the right thing to do for me personally. Mm-hmm. I love the event. Uh, and then, you know, getting to know the producers here on the West Coast. So I was just down in San Francisco for Dark Odyssey a couple weekends ago. Uh, most of their events are in the Mid-Atlantic, uh, and I might be down at KinkFest. Hopefully, they'll hire me. That's me talking to the KinkFest people on your podcast. <laughs> hint, hint. <clears throat> nudge, nudge. Uh, you know, and the, and the Pacific Northwest has, because of the wet spot, because of the Center for Sex Positive Culture, you know, I'm doing a, a, a workshop a month there right now, pretty much, one or two a month. So so I'm still teaching. It's just taking a different um it's it's looking a little bit different right now than it has in the past. So basically, everyone listening in Seattle, they've got no excuse. They can not come to. find me. Yeah, right. yeah. They got Pearl Jam and now Bendy Yoga Girl. Oh God, and Dan Savage, who and I can't Dan wait Savage. to meet. And Twisted Monk is here. That's true. And Savannah Sly is here now. And um, Jim Duval, Sophia Sky, Max Cameron, who is an amazing teacher and dominate. Uh, you know, Matisse is there too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, Seattle is just becoming the, the the who's who. I guess so. I don't know. The cost of living is so much more reasonable than than the Bay Area. Thank you so much for doing this. You're welcome. I hope it was painless. It was painless, which is kind of sad because we're both masochists. This but it was good because otherwise, well, people might not mind listening to me suffer but that wasn't the point of the conversation well if uh, maybe this will help you if anyone has a chance to play with bendy yoga girl in the future (laughs) after you have her tied up uh start playing some enya music Ah, and that will just really no 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 no. full album you got that from dove did you get that from dove i got that from your own blog you got that from my blog okay Oh, wait, Dove has done this to you? Is that what you're saying? No, he oh. just knows it about me because oh, okay. we're really good friends. And oh, okay. I know you guys are both yeah. local, so. Uh, well, there you go. Now I've got... Okay. Th- so you're welcome. <laughs> Have a good afternoon. <laughs> Have a good afternoon, too. Thanks to Bendy Yoga Girl. All of her info, her website, her Twitter, everything you can find, massacast.com. Hope you're having a good New Year so far. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.